I used to be extremely disorganized and it made my life really difficult. I used to leave things everywhere I went, whether it was a jacket or keys or a wallet. I locked keys in my car multiple times. My room was messy. And all of this contributed to my brain fog, my lack of confidence, and the list goes on. So I want to talk about it today because becoming organized has really improved my life significantly. It's improved my cognitive function. It's improved my mood. It's improved my time management. Now, I'm not perfect by any means. There are still things that I struggle with when it comes to organization. But I feel that I've made significant improvement and I can point to certain things in my life that have been affected by that improvement and be like, yeah, that's because I'm more organized now. So I want to talk about this because your lack of organization is affecting you too. And it could be affecting parts of your life that you don't even realize. And whenever you get your organization in check, all of a sudden, those things in your life that you didn't realize were connected get better. And you're like, whoa, what the heck? Organization's a big deal. Now, we live in an age where everyone is extra concerned with aesthetic, um, whether it's your Instagram feed or your room or whatever it might be. Everything has to be aesthetic now. And I think it's cool. Like, I'm all about minimalism. I'm not the most minimalist person, but I really like everything that I own to serve a function of some sort. I'm sure there's a couple exceptions, but for the most part, I like my stuff to be functional and to serve a purpose. And I don't like to have a bunch of the same thing if it serves the same purpose. Now, full disclaimer, someday I am going to have an underground garage full of antique, it will be antique for the time, Toyotas, because I'm weird and I really like Toyotas for some reason. So although a car serves the same function to get you from point A to point B, I will be a little excessive and non-minimalist in my Toyota collection someday. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when it comes to practical like household items and things like that. I like to be very minimal. So minimalism is big, you know, being aesthetic is big, but there's a lot of glamour that surrounds it. And I think there's a lot of pressure that surrounds it. And we've talked about comparing yourself to people on social media a hundred times on the show. And, you know, this is another one of those things where Although it's glamorized and it appears to be like a way to get attention and stuff, becoming genuinely organized without having to flaunt it to everybody or like take a picture of your, your room or your perfectly organized pantry. Instead, just living with the organization that you've created in your life 
can actually be quite enjoyable. And so what I want to do is tell you a story because I like stories and you like stories. And it actually involves my Cadillac. So if you watched or listened to episode 10, Is Collective Consciousness Real? Then you'll know that I mentioned my 1992 Cadillac Eldorado. It was my first car. And it was a very special car to me, obviously, because it was my first car. Lots of memories. Now, I was 19 when I bought this car. And mm, no, I was, I think I was 18. Doesn't really matter. In this time of my life, I was, uh, you know, my lifestyle was not quite what it is now. (laughs) I have since gotten married and, you know, I have a dog. I have a podcast like my my life is just very different now and I'm grateful for that but back then uh, I was just kind of all over the place I was working a, a job in attractions in my hometown that I actually kind of enjoyed but I wasn't making hardly any money and it was just kind of wasting all of my time the reason why I say all this is I was very unproductive in this time of my life. I wasn't writing music, so this was during my writer's block, which I've talked about in the first couple episodes of the show. So overall, just um, not making a whole lot of progress progress in my life at this point. I would go out with friends quite often. You know, I would drive around, go to a friend's place, um, go on little adventures and stuff. It was fun. And of course, I would take my car And within my 19th year of living, I locked my keys in my car three times. And each time was worse than the previous one. So the reason why this was especially difficult is because my Cadillac didn't have a metal rim around the window. So it was one of those doors where it's just the bottom half of the door and then the glass just comes out of the door and seals right up to the body of the car. It doesn't have like a metal frame, if you will, around the glass. The reason why this is so difficult is because whenever you lock your keys in your car, there are certain tools that you can use. Like I've tried the hanger thing a million times, but there's also this cool tool where you like wedge it in there and then you inflate it and it pries the door open just enough to where you can get a better tool down in there and you know hook the keys out or just push the, the button to unlock the door. So I had two problems with the Cadillac that made this extremely frustrating to deal with. The first problem was the glass. It didn't have, it was not supported by a metal frame. So I couldn't just stick the inflatey thingy in there and inflate it because the glass it wasn't on metal, it was. It would be pushing the glass back and the glass would shatter. I was actively trying to avoid that for obvious reasons. 
So that was the first problem. The second problem was the way that the unlock button was positioned. It's, a, it's an old car, it's a 92. The way it was positioned made it impossible to like push it with something. I, I can't remember exactly how it was. If it was on the side, I think it was on the side of the door and it didn't really have like a groove in it or anything to like get leverage. It, it was just like kind of flat. It's hard to explain, but the hanger trick was not working on this car. So the other frustrating thing was, I believe two out of the three times that I locked my keys in my car, my wallet was also in there, just like laying on the seat. So the first time was um, when I was, I had gotten off work, it was really late. I was in a parking lot, of course, <laughs> because that's where you park cars. And I like got out to the car and I see my keys sitting on the seat. And my first thought was, well, thank goodness nobody stole the car because it's literally just sitting here with the keys on the seat. And then my second thought was, uh, it doesn't matter because I can't drive it right now. <laughs> and I don't know how I'm going to get the keys out. So that was a fiasco. I don't remember how I got the keys out, to be honest. I'm pretty sure I used like a hanger hook or something. And it, it was like scraping on the glass as I was pushing it down through. And I was luckily able to hook my keys and like pull them out somehow. The glass would like it was able to move just a little bit. So I got very lucky because my keys were sitting in a spot. They must have fallen out of my pocket or something. My keys were sitting in a spot where I could hook them. But the second and third time, it was just like, it was worse than the last. And so I, I had to call somebody the other two times to come help with it. And it was very expensive, especially because it was late at night all three times and one of those times I was in a hurry for something so again now I'm like late and the reason why I bring all this up is because my lack of organization was causing me hours of my life that I can never get back it was causing me hundreds of dollars that I didn't need to spend and it was just raising my stress levels unnecessarily. <laughs> so this simple act of not being mindful of where I put my keys was having a huge negative impact on my life. Now this tendency carried over in other parts of my life too. Whenever I would go to a friend's house and then come home and then a couple days later, it'd be cold and I'd reach into my closet for my jacket and I don't have it. What happened to my jacket? I left it at my friend's house and they live 45 minutes away. Nice. Um, I would get all the way to the store to get some groceries and I didn't have my wallet with me, which means I also drove all the way there without my driver's license. <laughs> so not only was it illegal but it was 
a huge inconvenience. So that happened multiple times. I would say my jacket, like leaving my jacket somewhere was the most common thing. And I'm sure on the outside, you're looking at this situation like, dude, how do you like leave your jacket everywhere all the time? Either that or you're thinking to yourself, yep, this sounds like me. I do this kind of stuff and I don't know why and I don't know how to fix it. It's very frustrating. There were times where I just straight up lost clothing items. Like, <laughs> it's weird because I know girls typically, at least when I was 19, I remember this being the case, that girls would like share clothes all the time and then they'd get into fights over who had whose clothes and whose clothes it was. Um, guys don't really do that as much, at least me and my friends didn't. Uh, plus we were all like different sizes. But, so it's not like I was leaving my clothes at a friend's house and then they were just like stealing them or wearing them. Like sometimes I just genuinely lost clothing items and I could never find them again, especially jackets. So again, tying in this problem of costing me a ton of time, like there's just a huge opportunity cost at stake with being disorganized. So in case you're unfamiliar, opportunity cost is the, the total like implication of a certain situation, right? So for example, the good example of opportunity cost is if I am making a million dollars a year, the, there is a greater opportunity cost to me mowing my own lawn than there is to hire somebody else to do it. Because in the time that it would take me to get dressed, go out back, get the lawn mower, and then mow the lawn and then come back in and get showered, in the time that it would take me to do that, I could have made more money than it would cost to pay somebody else to mow the lawn. So there's a greater opportunity cost in that case. In the case of being disorganized, there is a greater opportunity cost for like when it comes to losing your stuff than there is for you to put systems in place to be able to keep track of it and train your mind to remember where you leave stuff. So opportunity cost is definitely something you have to keep in mind. Not only was I spending time going out looking for these clothing items that were only worth like 10, 20 bucks when I could have been working and made that $20. But also then I have to spend time to go to the store and get more. So to put this into perspective, I was making $9.50 an hour, okay? So after two hours of work, I could buy a $20 jacket, which is just gross thinking about how little that was. For the time, it wasn't as horrible, but it still wasn't very much. I was making like 1200 a month, I think, at the time. Just to put things into perspective, so this was in 2018. So, and so that you understand how bad inflation has gotten, or so that you remember, I used to be able to buy groceries for myself for like a week and a half at least, for like 25 bucks. I could go to Walmart, get groceries, and I would cook 
my own food. It was whole foods, so I wasn't buying a bunch of expensive junk food. It's like milk, eggs, pasta, all that stuff. 25 bucks could feed me for like a week, week and a half, maybe more. And now it's like nothing like that. I cannot leave Walmart without spending $100. And it's like three grocery bags. Anyway, my point is after two hours of work, I could buy a $20 jacket. So in this scenario, when I lose my jacket, let's say I spend two hours looking for it, which happened many times. I spend two hours looking for it. So that's $20 that I could have made in that time. Then I spend another two hours to go and get a new one. That's another $20. And I actually spend $20 on the new jacket. That's another $20, 20, 40, $60 that just left my, just left me <laughs> all because I misplaced and wasn't mindful of a $20 jacket. So in total, it really cost me $80 because the original jacket was $20. You see what I'm saying? Like there's a huge opportunity cost to losing your shit and not keeping track of your stuff. So what did I do about it? Because I did fix this problem in my life and now I hardly forget anything anywhere. I have left my water bottle in a couple places a few times since then, but it's been like uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, five years, which is crazy. And I, I've just gotten better at it every year. I forget stuff less and less and less, which is great and I'm grateful for it. But the question is, how did I do it? Well, first I had to get really sick and tired of leaving my stuff places. I had to get sick and tired and also like realize how big of an impact this was having on me. When I realized the opportunity cost, that was a huge eye opener for me. Because until that point in my life, I thought more in like direct linear terms when it came to money. But then when I started realizing, oh, like I could have been working this time and made this much. And then I spent this much time looking for it and this much time going to get it and this much on it. It was, it was scary <laughs> because I wasn't in the best of financial situations. And I knew that I had to fix it because it was probably gonna ruin me. Like you lose your jacket, you lose your keys, you misplace your wallet. You add all of that up and you are burning money because time is money and so on. So what did I do about it? Well, I knew that I had to train my brain to care more about my stuff before I lost it. So I had to learn to value my things and have them top of mind before losing it and then going, oh man, it really isn't nice to be able to have keys that I can unlock my car with and drive away with instead of, you know, locking them in there and then realizing the value of it, which I don't think that's all that was happening, but regardless. So I knew that I had to retrain my brain and I mean, the obvious choice was to just keep track of my stuff. And I wasn't doing that with my brain. So I needed to do it physically. 
So I just took my notes on my phone and I started making a note of everything that I would take with me when I would leave the house. That sounds like something that you would have to teach a 10 year old to do, but that's what I had to do for myself. <laughs> it's just honest. I had to get my notes on my phone and every single time I left the house, whether it was for work or going to hang out with somebody or going to see family or going to a concert, whatever it might be, going on a camping trip, which that was a doozy because you bring a lot of stuff when you camp. I took note of everything that I brought with me, unless there was no chance that it was going to come off of me like my pants. So yeah. And then whenever I would come back, or like before I would leave the place that I was at, so before I leave my house, I make a note of everything I have. Then when I am at the place before I'm leaving, I check my notes app and I do a mental checklist. Do I have my keys? Do I have my wallet? I brought my jacket this time. <laughs> uh, do I have my pillow? Whatever it might be. And then if I had everything checked off, then I would leave. And it's crazy because my life began to be a lot less frustrating and more efficient. I had more time to do what I wanted to do. So it works. It worked for me. And I just, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't for, wouldn't work for anybody else. So when it comes to forgetting your things, that's my recommendation is to make a list of everything that you leave the house with. And then before you head back home, after the thing that you're doing, check the list again. If you ever switch locations, if you go to a friend's house and then you guys are going to go out to eat and then you're going to go to a different friend's house and then you're going to go home, check your list before you leave because this will train your brain to think about what you have with you. And the cool thing is now, like years later, or really even just after a few months of doing this, I didn't have to do it anymore. This isn't a thing that you have to do your whole life. It's, it's just a temporary like easing into being mindful about your belongings and what you take with you. So it worked wonders for me. Um, now another th component, because I had mentioned there were a couple things that I was struggling with at this time. Another component to my disorganized life was my living space being in shambles. I, I, I wasn't a like dirty person, but I was messy. I would leave things around the apartment. I would just kind of place stuff wherever in my room. And this was also causing me a lot of problems, right? It's one thing to leave your stuff somewhere else. It's another thing when you can't even find it in your own house. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> you should know where you're putting your stuff and your stuff should have a place. So what did I do? I made a note of where do, where do my keys go in this location? 
Where does my wallet go in this location? Where do my clothes go in this? I didn't have a huge problem with laundry, but it's besides the point. Like, where do my books go? Where do my files go? And I made a list and I babied myself and I just notated where everything went. And whenever I would come home after doing something and I had a pocket full of wallet and keys and a jacket, I'd look at my list and be like, all right, wallet and keys go here. Boom. I got a little key ring so that I could hang my keys up in the same spot every time. Okay, where does my jacket go? Okay. And I know this seems obvious. There were there were other things like you sometimes I would bring home paperwork from work. Okay, where does it go? And so just putting it on the counter and then procrastinating and leaving it there, which that'll be the next thing that I talk about. I was able to it's again training your brain to remember your belongings and it's allowing your body to get into the habit of placing things in certain places. So throughout the next couple months, I, not only did I just stop leaving my stuff places and having to go buy new stuff, which was expensive, but I also started to develop specific spots in my room or in my apartment for my things which helped me appreciate them more, it helped me keep track of them, and it allowed me to get the greatest use out of them, which for something like keys or a wallet is really important. So the biggest suggestion that I have, if you're somebody that struggles with this, is to make a note of everything that you have with you when you leave and make notes. There's a fly flying around in here. Also, that's like the least creative name for an animal, by the way, fly, because it flies. They couldn't have done better. But yeah, and then make a note of where your stuff goes. And a lot of times, like I would come home and I, I wouldn't need to look at the note. Like just knowing that I have a note of where this stuff goes would remind me like, okay, like just put this stuff here. The benefits of putting your belongings in the same spot every time go beyond just not having to look for them. It also clears up space in your brain. Whenever you're disorganized, your like memory capacity is almost maxed out because you're constantly having to figure out where you put this, how to find this thing, where did I leave this? It's exhausting. And the thing is, our brains are not optimized for storage. They're optimized for processing. So whenever you're forcing yourself to try to remember mentally where all of these things are at all times, you have no room for anything else. How can you expect to be able to process good ideas or have, you know, business insights or be able to remember your kid's birthday like it, birthdays are something I still struggle with because I, I don't put a lot of intention behind remembering them even though I should so there's another thing that I'm not that great at but I can be and I'll work on that so yeah like our brains are not meant to just store a bunch of like 
memory for these random things all the time. If you're familiar with computers, the best way to put it is when you're disorganized, your RAM is maxed out. Like your random access memory is completely maxed out and that makes the computer slow or your brain slow. It's bogged down by all this information. Our brains are more like a CPU. It's built for processing information, not necessarily storing it. So how do we allow our brains more space to do what it's good at, which is processing? That is free up the RAM, free up the memory that you're forcing your brain to remember. So that means documenting things. I'm going to talk about two other aspects of disorganization. I actually ran a poll on Instagram or I, I put up a question on my story and a few people responded with some things that they struggle with in their life when it comes to disorganization or organization. And I totally relate to them and I've also come up with some solutions on how to handle those. But the thing that you'll notice, the thread tying together all of these different aspects is documentation. I have been documenting things so much more in the last few months than I have ever in my entire life. And what's crazy is I have made a lot more progress in the last few months than I have in my entire life. Do you see a trend here? Now, there is a difference between correlation and causation. I do believe that success compounds over time. And I think that I'm beginning to reach that compounding effect because it's been years of self-improvement now. And a lot of the, a lot of the progress that I've made has been internal and reality reflects your internal reality. So it's only a matter of time that my external reality is going to catch up. But my point is that I just feel like my life is a whole lot better now that I've, now that I've been documenting things more. So the first thing that somebody said was they struggle with a disorganized routine and to do's. I totally relate to this. I feel like my life is so sporadic and I've tried to maintain some order. Um, I think that I'm okay with how I like float through the chaos a little bit. And I think by nature of what I do, there's always going to be an element of that. But like most people, most people work you know, a nine to five of some sort, even creative people, like if you're a songwriter, or if you're a video creator, or whatever it might be, you most likely have a nine to five. And if you don't, um, I want to say congrats, but nine to fives aren't inherently bad. And also you could hate what you're doing and not have a nine to five. So I'm not going to say congrats unless that's one of your goals was to not have a nine to five and then you got out of it, then congrats. So a disorganized routine. Now I believe that this is typically caused by procrastinating. 
I'm a big procrastinator. I think most people are, to be honest. I feel like everybody has depression and anxiety and ADHD and procrastinates. And like, I just feel like everybody has elements of that now because of the ridiculously fast paced dopamine destroying society that we live in. But that's besides the point. So how can documentation help with a disorganized uh, to-do list, like just things piling up that you need to do that you keep avoiding or uh, your you know, daily routine being all over the place? Well, I think that the best way to handle this is going to be to document things as they come up. So whenever something comes to mind and I'm like, oh, I have mail on the counter, write it down. Because if you don't, you're going to go however long until the next point that it comes up in your mind. And every time that that happens, as time goes on, you're going to get more and more stressed out about something so stupid. Now, I'm calling myself out here because I have had a bad habit of leaving leaving mail on the counter. So I'm going to eat my words and I'm going to do this. Because I do it with other things. I document other things as they come to mind. So this is a great solution. Now, what's cool about doing this is that if you document it as it comes to mind, it doesn't mean that you have to do it in that moment. It just means document it. Set a little reminder to remind you to do it. Or if you have a place that you document your to-dos and you frequently check it, then do that. And you get the effect of procrastinating. So you kind of like, okay, cool. I don't have to do that right now. But there does have to be a component of accountability because otherwise it's just going to sit on your list and you're just going to keep putting it off. And it's almost like instead of having the list in your brain and putting it off, you're having the list physically in your hand and you're still putting it off. So the second component to this strategy is going to be to schedule things schedule time to take care of the things that you're procrastinating. Everybody has a day off at some point or a specific number of hours off every day or, you know, whatever it might be. I need to come up with a new phrase too. I think I'm going to work on my vocabulary because I say whatever it might be quite often. And I think I use it as a placeholder. I'm just trying to be self-aware here. Watching a podcast of yourself is like very eye-opening. I don't use a ton of filler words, but I could be a lot better. And whatever it might be is a filler phrase that I use. Or is it a cool quirk? I don't think so. So where was I? It's a little late. I'm recording this a little late. So bear with me. Yeah, so I was talking about um, when you are scheduling things, that's where the accountability comes in. So as the idea comes to your mind of like, hey, I need to do this thing. If you see the mail on the counter, if you see the clothes on the floor, make a note. And then as you're making the note, schedule it. Look at your calendar, find a time on your day off or, you know, tomorrow or even today, like hey, later today, I have three hours of free time after work and then I have dinner. So I have time to like do this and this. 
I have done this with other things and it's, it's really helpful, especially because recently I moved. Here's an example. I moved from Missouri to Tennessee. Now I'm in Nashville and I've moved every single year since I've moved out. So it's been like six moves now and I'm very tired of it. But you know how moving is. There's a hundred thousand different things that you have to take care of. I could make a podcast episode just about how many things you have to do when you move. And maybe I'll do that. But the um, things would just pile up. It's like stuff for the DMV. Oh, we got to switch the address over to this. So we got to change our bank account here. And one thing that really helped was whenever I would look at my calendar and be like, okay, this day I have free time for this and this. And I would put the things that I have to do on the calendar instead of just moseying around through my days and then hoping that maybe I'll come up with the motivation to do it on the spot. It doesn't work and you're not going to get anything done. So step one, document when the impression or the idea comes to mind. And step two is to schedule a time to take care of it. And again, you get this effect of, oh, cool, I kind of get to like put it off. But you're also holding yourself accountable and you're blocking that time out. Because if you don't schedule it, what's going to happen is you're either going to take the least important things and continue to put them off because there's more important things and not objectively more important, but like things that are more important to you at the moment. Like, oh, I want to go hang out with a friend instead of doing the dishes. Well, the dishes are going to get put off and friends are more important than dishes, but you get my point. Um, so you're either going to put off the, the less important stuff or the less desirable stuff. And most of the time, the least desirable stuff is the most important stuff that you have to do, unfortunately. So be mindful of that. You document when it comes to you and then you schedule a time to take care of it. And that has helped me become more organized with my routine and my to-dos. I tend to be a little bit less flooded with all the stuff I have to do since I've been practicing this. And I say practicing because practice makes progress, not perfect, and I'm still progressing in this area of my life. So that's the first thing. The second response that I got that I thought was very interesting was jumbled thoughts. Do you struggle with jumbled thoughts? Whenever you're talking, do you have a hard time coming up with what you want to say? Do you have a hard time saying it in the way that you want to say it? Do you find that other people struggle to understand what you're trying to communicate? Do you just struggle to find the right words in general? This is a very common thing that people deal with and I've noticed it more in others now that I don't struggle with it as much as I used to. I used to struggle with this quite a bit actually. And it wasn't in all scenarios. It was more in high pressure scenarios, like a job interview or meeting a new person where I would find myself t like talking faster and using more filler words and saying things like, I guess, and just using language that diminishes my point and 
kind of makes me sound iffy. Like, oh, well, this is kind of how I think, or this is kind of how I feel. Just really like, a, it communicates a lack of confidence, essentially. So, again, it wasn't something that I struggled with all the time, but I started to notice when I would. This is a difficult thing. I mean, to, to me, this stems from some fear of what other people think. Now, there's a different cognitive aspect to it, and I'm going to get to that. But I really do think it's worth exploring. And you can do that for yourself if this is something that you struggle with. The first step to change is awareness. And I'm probably going to say that almost every episode because it's true. Like you have to become aware of something in order to improve on it. Now, obviously the person that sent this question in is aware that they, whew, aware that they struggle with this. However, there is an extra step to awareness, which is like active awareness, where while you're in this situation, you become actively aware of, okay, you don't just become aware of the thing that you're doing. You start becoming aware of the things that are influencing that tendency or decision. So for instance, if I'm struggling to figure out what I want to say, or I'm fumbling over my words, or my thoughts aren't very clear, then instead of just going, oh, like, I'm, I can't like think straight, or oh, I'm not saying what I want to say. Instead, take a step outside of that and go, why am I struggling with this at the moment? Okay, that person makes me nervous. Why do they make me nervous? Uh, well, because like they make more money than me and it's just kind of an awkward situation. I don't know how to interact with them. Okay, what else? Well, this person tends to run over me in conversation and I don't want them to do that. And so I'm trying to get my words out as quick as I can so that I don't get interrupted. So you become aware of the contributing factors to this tendency. So there's kind of like two layers to the awareness there. Okay, well now I'm aware of the, you know, after a period of time of really studying this and taking notes and documenting what's causing this so that you don't have to keep it all in your head and you can make more sense of it. Now I have a better understanding of what's causing this. So how do I combat it? How do I improve on it? Well, a really odd thing that I've noticed that's helped me, and I don't do this enough and I need to, especially for the podcast. I, full disclosure, like 90% of the episodes that I've done so far have been totally unscripted. I've had nothing written down or anything. I just sit down and go, I'm gonna talk about this thing. Now, the reason why I've done that is to reduce friction so that I can get in the habit of doing it. And also because this started as just a personal journal for me, which it's evolved into a way to help other people. And I'm really excited for that. But that does mean that I need to be very intentional about honing my craft and improving my ability in front of the camera and just my ability to speak fluently 
which is also why I mentioned earlier that I want to expand my vocabulary so that I can use other phrases aside from whatever it might be. Because <laughs> I'm probably going to make a montage of how many times I've said that. So my point is reading to yourself out loud, like reading books helps with your cognitive abilities in general. It helps with your ability to process information, especially spoken and written information. But if you read out loud to yourself, you're practicing talking and you're practicing processing ideas and then speaking them. It's not exactly the same as having your own idea and then speaking it, but it's very close. It has a very similar effect. So you should try it out. If this is something you struggle with, find a book that you like. These are my three favorite books at the moment. Buddhism for Dummies, 50 Philosophy Ideas You Really Need to Know, and So Now You Know. Very interesting. Reads if you get the time or if you make the time. But yeah, if you read out loud to yourself, you get in that habit and you're honing your ability to process information and communicate it clearly. You're also practicing talking in a very low pressure way, which is helpful. So that's solution number one. What was the other thing I wrote down? Oh, of course, slow down. I have, there are a few people that I've, some are still in my life, others aren't anymore, but there are a few people that I can think of that speak very fast. And the thing is, most of the time they don't realize it. I'm sure that people have pointed it out to them before, but they, they don't, they're not aware, again, awareness, they're not aware that they're doing this. And what I've noticed about these people is that there's somebody or people in their life that tend to interrupt them, or they just generally in their life feel like people don't value their opinion or their insight or their input. And so what happens? You have to get it out as quick as possible so that you're not interrupted, so that you're not discounted, so that somebody doesn't twist what you say. It's an anxious habit and it's a habit that is born from insecurity. It is very frustrating when people don't value what you have to say. I've noticed my personal struggle with this revolves more around probably talking too much. Because if you think about it, like the person in the group that hardly ever says anything, when they do say something, it's kind of like, oh, they're talking. Like, let me listen. Now, confidently saying what you have to say is a huge component that will affect if somebody listens to you or not. But my point is that you should be aware of the speed at which you're talking. If you talk at the same speed the entire time you're speaking, it becomes really hard to listen to because it's almost the same as being monotone. And it's just no fun to listen to. But whenever you're speaking fast, what does your brain have to do? It has to throw ideas out fast as well. And that makes it really difficult to formulate your thoughts in, and communicate them 
in the way that you intend. So something that's really helped me, and you can see this or hear this on the podcast, is whenever I need to process what I'm thinking about, and I need to communicate an idea clearly, I give myself grace and I pause and I slow down my speech. I give my brain enough time to process what I'm trying to process and I give my mouth enough time to communicate it clearly. Again, this is a practice makes progress thing, so not anywhere close to being perfect at it, nowhere close to being a vocal or speech or communication coach, but it has helped me quite a bit. I've noticed, I see videos of me, you know, just years ago when I would talk in the video and there was a difference in the way that I would communicate. So slowing down and giving yourself grace is very, very helpful in a situation like this where you're noticing that you can't formulate your thoughts. The other thing that I would mention too is you should trust yourself enough that you have important things to say and that you have good things to say and you need to affirm this to yourself. If you're saying things to yourself like, oh, I always have a hard time communicating or nobody understands me or nobody listens to me, you are throwing that out into the universe saying, hey, prove to me that this is true because this is what I'm saying. This is how manifestation works and we'll get into that some other day. But affirm to yourself that what you have to say is worth listening to. Affirm to yourself that you know how to communicate clearly and affirm to yourself that people want to hear what you have to say. The struggle to formulate thoughts largely is due to confidence. So that's something to keep in mind. The last thing that I want to touch on with this is the just the cognitive aspect of it. And I would say for all three of these things, like forgetting where you put all of your stuff, struggling with procrastination in your routine and organizing it and struggling to organize your thoughts, you need to be doing things that are going to improve your ability to function as a human being. You need to be getting good sleep. You need to be fueling your body and your mind with the proper nutrients, so stop eating a bunch of crap. And you need to clear your head. You have to clear your head, I'm telling you. Document stuff. If you have an idea, document it. If you have a thought come to mind of something you need to do later, document it. If you have a profound thought that you would like to share with somebody, document it. If you have a business idea, document it. If you have a creative idea for a song or for a book or whatever it might be. If you have a funny thought, document it. You could use the joke in a conversation later and get some social points. I don't know. Document it. I'm serious. It's going to change your life. It changes everything. The last thing I'd like to mention about documentation is that if you're the universe and you have so many ideas that you could send to the humans on earth, are you going to send good ideas to the person that's just going to forget it? Or are you going to send good ideas to the person who's going to 
basically etch it in stone and do something about it. So which person are you? If you want the universe to grant you brilliant ideas, you need to show that you appreciate the ones you already have. So document them. Documentation is the key to becoming more organized. And becoming more organized is a very large component to making significant progress in your life. Because if everything is disorganized, then it's impossible to know where you're headed. And it's impossible to know how to get there. What's cool about documentation is not only can you document your journey, you can look back at these things that you've written down. And I don't mean journaling, journaling's great too. But just documenting your ideas, your thoughts, your to-dos, holding your, it holds you accountable too, because now you have these ideas sitting here and it's like, oh man, like I kind of got to do something with this or I'll feel bad. So the, the key to becoming more organized is documentation, but it's also just the key to making progress in your life in general. So really it's documentation equals organization equals progress. There's a hundred other components, but that's what I have for you today. I really hope this was helpful. These things have helped me a lot. And again, just recording this episode has been helpful for me because I can take some of the on the spot insights that I came up with and I can apply them to my life. But almost everything I mentioned in here, I've tried for myself and it's worked really well. So go ahead and try these things out and hit me up on Instagram or YouTube in the comments. Let me know how this stuff works for you. Document it in the comments right now. Say, I'm going to start doing this and I'll update everybody in the comments on how I'm doing. It's a good way to hold yourself accountable. I appreciate you for listening. This has been a fun episode, a little bit longer than I was expecting, but I'm trying to solve some problems here. So if you listened all the way through, I appreciate you very much and I'll catch you in the next one.